Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey! All right, now that we've blown out our levels, this is exciting times here. Uh, We are back together again as a threesome. You know, this is our lives. We're all so super busy doing crazy things and exploring our worlds. But Michael Vogel is back from his triumphant... Week in the playa back, at Burning back Man. physically, if not completely mentally. <laughs> still, still sort of reassembling the inside of my soul. <laughs> well, people say you get changed uh, when you go out there. That's for sure. Although you're getting more pampered over and over. Like you just told me, there's showers now where you were at, and you could wash your hands and your so, butt. So we, I, the all of the parts. Listen, it's all important. of the parts. No, we. Uh, so we have uh, we've been you know I, this is this was my eleventh year going to Burning Man so I am a, I'm a seasoned desert dweller uh, but uh, there's a there's a group of uh, campers that we've camped next to for the past several years and uh-huh. this was the first year that we joined with them okay so our camp is the alligators they are the pandas so now we are the panda gators or or something I don't know but they are all very smart techie nerdy people from mostly from the San Francisco area and they know how to do things that uh, we are not capable of so they had we had a sink with running water we had showers it was as lovely as it can be when it is a hundred thousand degrees during the day but But do do they know how to break a story well you know we all have our strengths (laughs) and that 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 is mine i don't know how valuable it is in the desert but it's what i've got well beyonce was right nerds rule the world nerds rule the world but uh, it was really fun and i did uh you know i i i I think i found a way to find my geeky my geek comforts in the desert oh nice i took a uh i took a star wars novel with me nice uh bloodline by claudia gray that's a great one and every morning when i woke up after a night out partying in the desert before i sort of re entered the day mm-hmm. i would read a couple chapters and it is a great really star is. wars novel i really liked it you haven't read this one no i haven't read that it's a one. princess leia one it's fantastic have, it, did you did you have the star wars music playing on your iphone as you read maybe once or twice <laughs> maybe once or twice i uh yeah you, you see me with my, my queen size air mattress in my shift pod it's like i'm in the middle of the desert like press play and it's like no it's actually really cool like this whole period of time between return of the jedi and uh, force awakens yeah which is uh you know mandalorian territory i know you oh, guys yeah. talked about that last week we did. but also like this kind of was all the political stuff uh that that led to leia starting the resistance and right. it was a great novel so yeah. when i needed to get away from the oons oons and the flamethrowers and everything else, I went and visited uh, some old friends from a galaxy far, far away. You had to have run across some Star Wars techno out in the desert, right? Right. Come there on. was one year. It wasn't this year, but there was a, a Star Wars Island. cantina one year. I was going to say yeah. That every time be. you went in there, it was like dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> and with all the art cars that people build, I yeah. mean, people build things from like small little cupcakes that they drive around in. They're single person cupcakes to giant. 
uh, dragons and things that that fifty or sixty people can get on. Yeah. But there's definitely uh, a couple Luke land speeders that I've seen tooling Ooh. around the desert out there, which is pretty cool too. <laughs> I think I might want to go next year. I think I, I think this is the line where if I don't go next year, I don't think I can go. I don't know how you. I don't know. I don't know how the outlaw will do in the desert. Oh my god! It just be me. <laughs> And some outlaw boxers in my hat and my 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 uh, shoe, my boots, just walking around answering trivia questions. <laughs> Best picture, nineteen sixty-eight. Ah, The Graduate. No, wait. This guy is off his rocker right now, <laughs> just wandering around, just randomly with a belt. I challenge you. Ten questions for the. <laughs> The outlaws walking around. That's when I've really gone over the edge. I can. I get this. Where's Where's John? He's wandering around in the desert asking people movie trivia. He's yeah, re- that sounds right. That sounds about right. He's, He's challenging the moon to a movie debate. <laughs> He's uh, really aggro. So, like, I I have to come back and tweet the tweet. Like, I'm sorry to all the outlaws fans, but. We broke him. It's done. <laughs> broke him. It's done. <laughs> but he does still have the belt. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> right at the end, I got it back. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, let's introduce ourselves 10 minutes into the show. I am John Roca, writer, producer, and host here in Los Angeles over at Collider Video and on a number of other podcasts. Uh, I am Michael Vogel, writer, producer of animated TV shows and movies, and Desert Dweller. Hey, And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor, where you may have seen me on The Middle, 911, and Jane the Virgin. There you go. Well, uh, this is the Geek Buddies, and I want to give a special thanks to Mike Kalinowski, who joined us last week to talk about um, all the D23 goodness that dropped. Uh, and you all were very positive, and uh, there was a lot of retweets of the of the episode, and people liked it a lot. So it's always great to nerd out with Kalinowski. But it was wonderful for him to take my place, if not my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just going to say, one particular member of the Geek Buddies had some issues with Kalinowski's thoughts and opinions and felt that he was talking over us, which I didn't feel that way at all. But I just felt like it was a, 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 it was a, it was a lovely episode. It was fun to listen to you guys talk about D23. It was not totally balanced. There was no Last Jedi defense. Oh, okay. There was some opinions thrown around about... What you thought was going to be in the shows that I would have loved to, uh, oh, to to uh, to chime in on, to chime in on, okay. But you know what? We're gonna have plenty of time to talk about that when Disney Plus premieres. So uh, sure. I'll save it. I'm gonna save it. Did you did you get that deal that they were offering the D twenty three members? I did not. Okay, but I'm just I'm just gonna pay whatever. I don't care. Of course, uh, I just did. And did I was, yeah, yeah. Because you paid the hundred dollars and now or yes, whatever it was because yeah. the, you had to be a member of D twenty three, which I was under the impression that it was it was a, a subscription right, service, right, right, and right. it's not like they actually have like you can become just a regular member. You don't need to be a, you know the gold standard or whatever. Right. And then uh, I want to say that the last day for the deal was like september 2nd it was yeah and yeah i, yeah, I went ahead and did yeah. it okay i uh it was interesting like i was you know right i was getting ready to fly out to burning man and i was on twitter and all the d23 stuff kept coming out and i think that like right before we got on the plane yeah the poster for last uh for for um the rise of skywalker right came out like like it was the last thing that i saw going into the desert like snapped a picture of it so i could show people in the desert what the thing looked like and then coming back I was like on the plane and I was like scrolling through everything and I'm like, what footage? Got oh, home, yeah. checked it right away. So it was kind of fun to be out of it for a week and then come back in and be like, oh shit. Right. <laughs> What's going on with that lightsaber that Ray's got? <laughs> All right, quick thoughts. Dark Ray. You, and we'll move on. Nah. No? There's no Dark Ray. Okay. That's your thoughts. I, I don't. Here's the thing I don't think that they will 
end the trilogy or the nine movie saga, yeah, the way yeah. they described it, with Ray all of a sudden being bad. Yeah, right. And I don't know that they have the mileage, even if the movie is two hours and 50 minutes or whatever, mm-hmm. to have Ray go from, I finally became an awesome Jedi, then I'm going to become dark, and then I'm going to come back. Like, I just yeah. That's a lot of changes to happen. Right. So whatever's going on there... Uh, and I don't know what is. I don't have an. I don't have another opinion of what it is. But right. I think they're teasing us with a is she dark? And I don't think she will be. Do you think a lot? Do you think? Did you listen to our theories? And did you agree with any of our theories? Or I listened saw to your, some logic. I listened to a lot of your theories. <laughs> That's as far as you'll go. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I just know she can't be a clone. I just don't buy that clone thing. I, I think the mainstream. The one thing I disagree with, Shan- like I. Although I am a defender of Last Jedi, I actually got in a huge debate with somebody named Twizzler in the no. desert about Last Jedi. And did you meet a guy named Redvine as well? I mean, I don't want to talk to that guy. <laughs> That's right. Only Twizzler. That's right. Only Twizzler. Twizzler's only. Uh, and we got into a big discussion one morning about Last Jedi. And what I've realized is even though I quite like Last Jedi, most of the criticisms that people have of Last Jedi yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with. Okay. But that's fair. One of the things that I, I actually very much like that Ray is not related to anybody. Like I enjoy I, that. I but I do. And, enjoy and, that. And if and if they if they go back on that, that like, will. oh just kidding, you're Obi Wan Kenobi's granddaughter or you're the Emperor's clone or you're if they do any of that stuff. Uh, that will probably irk me. That will that will bother me a little bit. Well, people said the same thing about Avengers Endgame. If they bring those characters back, then blah, blah, blah. But they did it in a way that was inventive. So it's possible that they can do this in a way that's inventive. I truly believe we're going to find out that she's related to somebody because um, the only person that told her that she wasn't is Kylo, and Kylo is evil. And so. as we learned from Spider-Man Far From Home, bad guys lie. Bad it guys is true. Lie. I, I think it wouldn't be... Let me put it a different way. I don't think that it would be the worst thing. I think you can make it work because, yeah, yeah, Kylo Ren is not a reliable source. Right, right, right. So if he's like, your parents were junkers and it turns out they weren't, like, from a narrative standpoint, they can make that work and it won't be like a complete slingshot. It won't be like, what the fuck? I think what it is is one of the things I like, and there's a lot of articles about this when Last Jedi came out, is that we went through a whole era, thanks to Star Wars primarily and, like, the... Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, like whether it be Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter or anybody, we've we've gone through an entire generation where our heroes are heroic because of who they are related to. Right. So Luke is a Jedi because his dad was Anakin. Harry Potter is special because his parents, you know, like there's all this stuff. And that we're now in an era with Ray and a couple other characters in different mediums where it's like no, you don't have to be a hero because your parents are special. Like right. you can just be special, yeah. and I like that message. Yeah. Uh, so I really that's one of the things I liked about Last Jedi. I don't think I will never watch Star Wars again if that's not the case, and she turns out to be, uh, you know, a Kenobi or a Skywalker, a Kenobi or a Skywalker or, or whoever. A, or did did Twizzler like Last Jedi? No. Oh, so yeah. maybe you should have found Red Vine. Well, Red Vines would have totally loved Twizzler had some good points, though. I will give Twizzler, I will give Twizzler that. He had yeah. some good points. Well, Red Vines would have totally loved those mama jokes. You know that. Red Vines <laughs> loves that recycled, stale Listen, shit. Red Vines' opinions are stale and crusty and do not taste good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Much like The Last Jedi. Hey, anyways. Oh, 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 
Shots fired. All right, if you're a new time listener to the show, thank you so much for taking a chance on us. But this is how we work the show. We each present a geek news item uh, and we discuss it. And then we'll take a bit of a we'll take a quick break and then come back and discuss our main topic, which for today is an analysis of the box office from the summer season and what it means for summer movies going forward. Uh, but first, let's start with our geek news items. Who's up first? That would be me. Break it down. So back in 2018, March of 2018, they so gave, long ago. They gave <laughs> another swing at the Tomb Raider franchise. Right. You know, they had those Angelina Jolie movies that took place in the early 2000s. Weren't that great? Um, this time they got Alicia Vikander playing Laura Croft. Mm-hmm. Um, I was excited about the movie. They were kind of taking their cues off the uh, recently you know rebooted video games. Yeah. Movie came out. Granted, it got caught in the uh, wake of Black Panther, but it came out. They spent a little less than a hundred million dollars. Yeah, ninety four. I think domestically it made sixty, and yeah. worldwide uh, under three hundred. Right. The movie itself, eh, you know, she was good. I like the relationship between her and uh, and her dad, who was Dominic uh, West. West, right. but it seemed like that was gonna that was it. Like they they're gonna put it back up on the shelf age it a little bit, then they're going to give it another try. Well, it came out that uh, Ben Wheatley, yeah. who was an English director, um, he did a movie called High Rise. I was with Tom Hiddleston, and he right. did, did... Did you go see Free Fire, the one with Brie Larson and Army Hammer? I did not. The 70s movie. It we was, saw it. Yeah, we saw that. Yeah. And it was... I really enjoyed Free Me Fire. Me too. But this guy, who's sort of like a British independent director, he is now going to be at the helm for the next chapter of the Tomb Raider series coming out in 2021, I believe. Yeah. Also in March... And also after a Marvel movie that's coming out in February, which would be Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah. So it possibly could get caught in the wake of another Marvel film. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Why do you think so the, why, why do you think they chose us to do a sequel? I mean, I guess two two seventy or two seventy four million off of, off of a ninety mil, ninety four yeah. million investment. I mean, it almost made or it made three about, times about it's three a, times. Yeah. And it's a recognizable property, but I mean, I think much the case with Angelina Jolie's films. I think Tomb Raider two of that series was better, but there was such a stink on it off of the first one that nobody really went to go see it. You thought Cradle of Life is better than the original Tomb Raider? Uh, I mean, marginally, yeah. <sighs> Man, I do not. I was bored out of my fucking mind at Cradle of Life. You like her, though. I like her a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I especially liked her as uh, Laura Croft. Mm-hmm. I think that movie was just kind of... I didn't think the direct the direction was that interesting. It was very much a paint-by-numbers action film, and I didn't think the writing was that interesting either. Yeah, I think sometimes you get a foreign director who comes into a property and put, tries to put their, their spin on it. Like, we saw this with John Woo stuff in America. Like, he tried to make... Asian-styled films with American actors. And it doesn't work because our culture is not an Asian-styled culture. So when you shoot films in a certain way, we just don't accept that mm-hmm. doves would be flying around. All this kind of, it's just not acceptable. And the pacing of it all doesn't... And I think uh, Ruhr Ortag, who did the first one, maybe had that problem with this uh, uh, Tomb Raider because it was a bit disjointed. It wasn't 100% uh, connected or congruent throughout the film. And, and there were some good scenes, some, certainly some good action scenes, like in the waterfalls and, and the plane and everything. That was fantastic. But then it was disjointed in terms of the villain, in terms of like you didn't really sense. It, was, it felt a little mustache twirly rather than uh, somewhat, be, somewhat more nuanced. And I think hiring an English director like Ben Wheatley, whose wife Amy Jump is writing, has been writing the screenplay, 
could lead to a better film. But I also think they're going to drop the budget on this one, which is why you get someone like Ben Wheatley, who's able to do good films on a tighter budget. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's $50 million I, or less. I do think – I mean, you're right. I mean, it's a recognized brand. It's a brand that people want to see on the big screen. And I think that is – I think that when the, when the movie was said and done, I think the studio – execs like they look at this movie the same way that we do i mean you looked at it you're like well look this movie wasn't great but we like her and we want lara croft because like if they if you i think if you didn't like her it's kind of like what a lot of us have said about captain marvel which is the we like brie larson we like captain marvel as a concept maybe this movie wasn't everything we wanted it to be but we're excited about her going into Another movie, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I think it's a similar situation. I think you're being a little generous. I think people like Vikander as Laura Croft more than they like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know if I'd say that. You really? don't think? No. I think when you say people, you mean penises. I think you mean boys. I think girls like Captain Mar- Brie Larson as Captain Marvel a lot. I like Brie Larson as Captain And I like Brie Mar- Larson, but I'm gay, so I'm counting myself with the ladies. Well, I'm a male with a penis. Yeah, but you also like musicals. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stereotype, and I won't have it. I won't have it. <laughs> Into the woods, it's time. Yeah. See, that's a mature musical, though. <laughs> there you go. You don't catch me. You don't catch me singing Carousel. Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I came out of Captain Marvel, and I thought her performance was a little wooden. I, mm. I didn't think that the movie surrounding her, as you have said in the past, was was good. But I don't think that she helped it that much either. Her in Endgame, I don't think she was in it enough to really make that much of a difference. I think, aside from a certain group of internet dudes. I think generally hmm. people like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Yeah, and maybe okay. maybe they maybe they like Vikander better as as Lara Croft. I don't think enough people saw the movie. Well, I was going to say certainly more people saw Captain Marvel. Yeah, <laughs> made over a billion certainly. <laughs> but if this was Marvel's Tomb Raider, it would have made a billion dollars too. So I mean, like, it, 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 I think that's got to be factored into the situation as well. I'm a massive fan of the Tomb Raider Tomb Raider franchise with the video game. Like, I bought every single video game. And finished, played to completion, which I have never done with any other title. They got too real to me. I, I had to stop playing the last one. Oh, because really? You had to go. I was loving it. I was like, this game is great. And then yeah. you had to like break into a village. You had yes. to break into a town by going under it and through the sewage. And it made me so sick that I had to <laughs> stop playing it. I was like, no, ma'am. I am not going in there. <laughs> Turn the game off. <laughs> I remember the last one. You had to like jump over sharks or something like that, and the motorcycle with the water and the ship and That's all of cool. That. that was awesome. With I enjoyed the sewage. That. Yeah, the sewage was a bit much. I'm, You're right. The, the poo. I'm gonna save the world from who? Save to say, if Mike was in Shawshank, he never would have. No, he, would, he wouldn't have do framed out. Nope. <laughs> nope. Which is ironic. Would have dug for it. years and just been like, nope. You can. You, you yeah. go. <laughs> Fascinating. Behind my Kirk Cameron circuit growing pains poster in my prison cell. <laughs> in the 1950s. I think you're trying to get away with that. But it's going to come out in March of uh, 2021. Yeah. So I guess we will right. find out then. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, we'll see. What, I, I think what he also, one last thing before we move on, Ben Wheatley in his movies has shown a propensity to attract Good actors and actors of name. Look at Free Fire. That's a low budget film. You get Brie Larson, Army Hammer, Charlotte Copley, a couple of other people too of note in it. So maybe this will pop. This will attract actors to be part of the Tomb Raider franchise that maybe wouldn't have been part of it because they're going to work with Ben Wheatley. It's certainly possible. So, right. all right, what do we move on to next? Who's next? Uh, I I am next. Okay, the Wizarding World is a buzz. Bu- I can't even do this song. <laughs> 
worked there for a year. How do you not know the theme? You, because I have. You're a wand guy. I was a wand guy. <laughs> you are the brute squad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, a couple things have happened today. J.K. Rowling teased something really weird on her uh, Twitter Ooh. that was not a sexual fact about Dumbledore for a change. Oof, good. Uh, good. She she posted a picture of. Um, the Dark Mark logo from Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, because okay. the logos in the Broadway show and the London show for the houses in the Dark Mark are different from what Warner Brothers and everyone else has. Yeah. Uh, and said, uh, sometimes darkness comes from unexpected places. Hashtag Harry Potter. Hashtag Cursed Child. Nobody quite knows what that means. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of rumors going around that Warner Brothers... Uh, is potentially buying the rights to Cursed Child or becoming a major investor in Cursed Child so that they can make Cursed Child into a Harry Potter film or two Harry Potter films with the original cast returning. Now, we're getting this from We Got This Covered is the main source. It's Yeah, but, but, but it's, literally, it's, str- it's literally blown up all over. And, right, uh, right, right, right. It's uh, not the strongest source We Got This Covered, but the uh, when you couple it with the J.K. Rowling tweet... And a couple other people, uh, and the fact that uh, the marquees for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child has replaced their signs with new signs that are more in keeping with the American illustrators' title designs Mm. as opposed to what they have. So there's a lot of stuff happening around Cursed Child, and there's this rumor, and I think it's a, I think it's a solid bet that Warner Brothers wants to do this for a couple reasons. One, the uh, Fantastic Beasts franchise, I don't think has done what they would like it to do. It's a fucking debacle, and that last movie. Oof. Is horrendous. Ju- it, it's horrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Horrendous. Like, uh, I, the way I put it to somebody was, Fantastic Beasts is harmlessly bad. Like it's like a here's an adventure that I don't necessarily. The first one, right, right. Fantastic Beasts is like I don't necessarily really care about this, but it's cute and it's in the Wizarding World and the characters are fun ish. Yes. They're they're enjoyable. And then Crimes of Grindelwald came out. And you're like, okay, well now we're going to get into it. And you're like. This is hor- This is horrible. Yeah. Like, it makes me angry. Um, and I think that Warner Brothers is aware of that, so I think they're probably hedging their bets a bit. And Cursed Child is doing huge in London. Yeah. It's doing huge in New York. It's opening on the West Coast this year. Um, and if, if anybody has um, – a lot of people read The Cursed Child when it came out, the play, and were like, oh, this isn't great. And I was one of those people I read it, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I mean, this is fine, but this is kind of like Harry Potter fan fiction or whatever. Then I flew to London to go see Cursed Child, mm-hmm. and it's one of the greatest Harry Potter experiences I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, it's amazing. Well, you say one of the greatest experiences. Now, do you think that experience will translate from the stage to the screen? Yeah. I think it will if you have the original cast. I think that it's actually a very powerful story when you see it. Uh Watching Harry, uh, Ron, and Hermione and Draco as adults dealing with – seeing where they went but seeing how they're dealing with their kids, particularly how Draco and Harry deal with their children. Uh, it's, okay. it's a really great, beautiful story and I think it would be really interesting. And because like you know, Cursed Child is two parts, you either see it in the afternoon and then you go back at night or you see it over two nights, it could very easily be two movies – uh, and I think that the cast is about at the age now where they could play those parts or right around the age where they could – Maybe. They're getting close. Well, what are they? Th- maybe 30? Yeah. How old is are their kids supposed to be? 
Uh, what? Ten years old, starting at Hogwarts. Uh, oh. Ron, Ron and Hermione have a, an older daughter, so she's like a second or third year. Okay. Okay. Let okay. me rephrase. Maybe they're not quite at the age that they would need to be, but with a little bit of makeup and a little bit of work, you can easily get them to look the part that they needed to look. Because I remember reading something, and this was like a couple of years ago, where it said yeah. there was a report that Warner Brothers had bought that domain, the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child domain, yeah. a while ago, and like with the intention of trying to make these one day. But then they, it came back. They're like, no, 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 that's not, that's not true. Yeah, and I mean, there's already a little bit of hubbub on the internet of like, is it true, is it not true? But like the rumor mill like started, and it just went crazy today. I think yeah. they will do it uh, okay. sooner or later. I think that you have a Harry Potter story that is going around the world. People are like flocking to see it. And the idea of seeing these characters older and like looking at the next generation and that opening up the potential for new movies down the line with the younger kids. Like, I think there's a lot there that Warner brothers is not going to leave that money on the table. And as we've talked about on lots Mm -hmm. of episodes, when you've got a franchise in the world that we live in right now, you do whatever you can to keep that franchise. And I think that they're realizing that these prequels are not going to do it. Yeah, yeah 30, uh, 30 years old um, is what Daniel is now. Uh, by the time they probably start shooting, he's 31, 32. So that's close enough to have a 10-year-old child, certainly if you started at 21 or 22. So it's believable. Uh, he does have – Harry and Ginny have a, an one old – they have – they have one or two children other than him, so they're a little bit okay. older. But like, I think like you're 30 years old, and we need you to play 40. You know, I mean, you're yeah. getting we're getting to the place where I would accept them as older. Right? Yeah, sure, 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 sure. I, I I like this idea for that for what you said. I think the number one thing is that it's to wash the taste of Fantastic Beasts out of people's mouths. This is a smart move by Warner Brothers. If it happens, uh, someone was tweeting that like you don't buy the whole rights to the play, you buy the you buy the rights to make a movie of the play so i don't know about how that works but i think if you if you bought the rights to the whole play you can do what you want with it right and so if you want to make two separate movies out of it i think that's smart of them to do that as well as kind of a way to close the door on the situation although man deadly hollows one and two are fantastic films to finish out that series of films so i worry if they fumble the ball here it's a really different because yates should yates come back and do this yeah, yeah, really? Because yeah, I find, I, I find him to be a very boring director. I here's the thing: I find he's a Yates, safe director. I find Yates to be a safe director. I find I don't I do not think Yates does action well. Yeah, I think the the I love Deathly Hallows one and two, but I think the big battle for Hogwarts at the end I'm left wanting yeah. in several areas. Uh, but also there is a mark on those movies of like the the sameness of like five six seven one and seven two like. That feels very Harry Potter to me, so yeah. I wouldn't be yeah, mad. I, I agree. It's let me put it that way. It's not the two to three to four. Let me put it. Let me put, let me put it this way. I would not be mad if Yates yeah. came back to do it. If this happened, I also wouldn't be mad if they went with somebody different. Because uh, Johnny, to your point, I think that Deathly Hallows one and two is the perfect ending to the Harry Potter saga because that is the Harry Potter story. Cursed Child does a really interesting thing in that it, it definitely feels like a new chapter, a new story. Uh, Harry and Ron and Hermione are not the protagonists, but yeah. if you love Harry, Ron, and Hermione, there's a whole lot of them in it. Mm-hmm. But it's really these younger kids. It's Albus and Scorpius that are really the the driving force, and it is kind of nice to see this next chapter in the Harry Potter universe. Wait a minute, Draco's son is named Scorpius. Yeah, that's in the book. That's a, that's the end of seven. That's at the end of the book. It is. Yeah, it's in the book. It's, it's in the in book. The book. It's in the book. It's canon. You know what? It's in the book. It's canon. It's in Bloodlines. It's in the book. Now, do you think, 
like the, the, the books, they will have someone adapt it. Or will they let J.K. Oh, take right. a swing? J.K. who's been doing... that's where... The, well, I, that's the other point I wanted to make, Shannon. This could have a more... A, this could have more chance of being successful than Fantastic Beasts because, once again, like those original films, you're having source material to use to create this movie from. And I feel like Fantastic Beasts, left to their own devices, has really shit the bed with their to those both those films. Not the, se- not the first one. The second one, I certainly, think, though. I think that... I'm trying to think how, how to say this. Given that all the dialogue is there and the basic bones of the story are there, if J.K. Rowling did write this, I don't think it would have the the plot and pacing issues that Grindelwald has. Mm. Uh, or they could bring on somebody else. Probably, probably better to bring on somebody else. I, I, <laughs> let, 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 let Joe write the books. Write the books, Joe. <laughs> write the books and send us the tweets. <laughs> right, exactly. Akio! Um, <laughs> Accio treatment. <laughs> Accio cleaning this shit up. Uh, yeah, I'm down with it. I'm down with it. I, I like the idea. I hope it happens. I, I think the Harry Potter, th- look, I, you know, having worked there, it really does give you uh, an understanding of people's love for that uh, property. I've never read the books. Uh, still. You can't believe that. Can't believe that. Yeah, I never have still. Um, and then maybe I will. Maybe someday I will just go on a run and just tear through them one summer or month. You know, our friend Jonathan Gabay did that. Yeah, he he, he went through them. He went through and like finally, he's like, I'm gonna read all the books. And yeah. he read all of them, and uh, leading up to when we went to go see Cursed Child. Oh, nice! So he kind of went through and read each one, even though he had seen the movies, and kind of finished the seventh one right before we flew to London to go see oh, Cursed wow. Child. They're thick books, aren't they? They're like pretty. Th- they get thicker. They, they get thicker starting at book four. Like a thousand thick, or more than a thousand, uh, or less. I don't, I don't think, think it's a thousand. thousand. Okay, so it's not Game of Thrones. I think level. five is the longest. Is that Phoenix? Order of the Phoenix? Or maybe Order seven. Of, yeah, I think seven is seven the is the longest. longest. Yeah. Order of the Phoenix is quietly one of my favorite. Uh, Potter Order of the films. Phoenix is my favorite book and my favorite. Well. Prisoner of Azkaban is my yeah. favorite Potter movie, oh. but uh, Order of the Phoenix is my favorite book. To me, it's like it's like t- uh, two. It's like a, 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 a Star Trek. It's like Wrath of Khan and Voyage Home. It's like one, two, although, but six is now kind of supplanted Voyage Home for me. So I think Phoenix is now coming number two for me because number one was you like um, undiscovered. You like I like undiscovered country more, more than, than Voyage, Voyage Home. Home? Oh, I do, I do. More I think, than more than the whales. Yeah, it's, it's cheese ball and a half. <laughs> Number four sometimes. It gets real cheesy with the whole whales. Can you whole... shut off that damn noise? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, it's a colorful double, metaphor. Double damn you. Um, all of that's a little cheesy <laughs> at times. It is. Six, there's no cheese in six. Six is like serious, which I love. You know, it's, let them die. Oh, it's because they're doing Shakespeare. Yeah, man. Okay. Like Christopher Plummer. Yes. <laughs> let loose the dogs of all. I love it all. It's it's just it just speaks to me this, more. This episode's geeking all over the place. <laughs> you want Star Wars? You want Potter? You got Star Trek? You come to the Geek Buddies. <laughs> I got Vulcan blood all over me. Green. I got slimed. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to our last uh, geek news item here. Uh, um, uh, it came out yesterday uh, on the Hollywood Reporter. As we're recording this, it came out yesterday in Hollywood Reporter that Adele Lim, who was the co-screenwriter, co-screenwriter for uh, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, the film that made two hundred and seventy something million or two hundred forty something million yeah. worldwide, pretty incredible numbers on a low budget, starring all Asians, an Asian director. romantic comedy, an Asian director, John Chu. Like this, um, she came out. It came out rather in the Hollywood Reporter that she is stepping away from these sequels that are they were supposedly they were set up to shoot back to back, back to back 
Peter Chiarelli is the other co-screenwriter in this thing. Well, apparently... Does not sound like an Asian name. No, not an Asian name, but he was the first writer hired yes. before John Chu was hired as the director. Correct. So he had been working on this property for quite some time. Then they bring in uh, uh, Adele Lim, who was a TV, a TV writer for the most part. She comes in, adds a lot of flavor and elements to the film that are more Asian-oriented, kind of can make it more authentic. Uh, and a lot of people credit that uh, well, as the success of the movie. And we don't. I mean, and added more to it. I mean, as a writer yeah, too. Like, absolutely. She didn't just come in. Uh, she didn't just come in to do like some sprinkling of some stuff. Like exactly. Really, really helped make that movie the hit that it was. Exactly. And so what happened was um, they offered her. Uh, Warner Brothers offered her uh, money that was way below what Peter Chiarelli. It's about a tenth, right? Yes, yeah, about a tenth. It was like that. They didn't. She didn't say the numbers, but they were estimated about eight eight hundred thousand to a million is what he was getting, and she, they were coming in with a hundred and ten thousand. Yeah, for her, and she was like, "This is insulting. How could you?" Blah blah blah. And they were claiming that because Peter Kyrelli had written the proposal, he somehow has more uh, ability to quote a higher number than her. And uh, they pushed back as she walked away from the situation. Then they went off for like four, three, four months, or four or five because this happened a while ago that she walked away from it. Four or five months interviewing other Asian screenwriters. Then they ended up coming back to her, tried to offer her a better number with Peter Chiarelli saying he'd split, saying he'd split it. It's my news. Item. We'll get to all the facts. I got them all going. I just and excited. Peter Chiarelli, I'm getting worked up I know over you here are. as you're talking. You had your Potter time. And so the Peter Chiarelli offered to split his salary. Just wants to run the show. God damn it. Uh, and, and, was, and was willing to get it closer to the number. Uh, and she still turned him down because she said... I should not be relying on the white guy screenwriter to cut his salary in half in order to meet my demands. The studio should meet my demands out of respect for what I did. So now she's walked away from this situation. And, and uh, I think this is terrible optics for Warner Brothers for a film in 2019 when a lot of prominent female actresses and female directors and writers and producers have said uh, – have been vocal about the pay disparity between men and women – uh, in the business to ha to have Warner Brothers do this so um, uh, I don't know so openly was is such a massive mistake and it puts a bad taste in my mouth to be honest with you. Now you can talk, Michael. You sure? Yeah. Man, I am worked up about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I agree. I mean, and I think she did. I think she actually did say she's quoted saying, you know, that the uh, the studios hire. Uh, people right. of different ethnicities to come in. I think the way she put it was to sprinkle some soy sauce yes. on the script yeah. and and give it a give it a sense of uh, authenticity. And they don't want to uh, reward. And you know, she made a really interesting point in that when when uh, business affairs uh, when when yeah. business affairs returned and said, "Well, it's because he's got these credits, right. and you don't have these credits." She's like, "Look." Uh, women writers, particularly women writers of color, yeah. are not given these opportunities. I now was given this opportunity on this movie that has become one of the biggest romantic comedy hits in recent memory. Yeah. And you're still not going to reward me for that. And you're still going to say the white writer who gets a lot more uh, has has had all the opportunities to write these things to drive his number up. Yeah. Like it's like it's a lose lose across the board. Uh, and you know what I mean? Good for her yeah. because I think the most important thing to come out about this. Is that it came out. Yep. Had she just said, okay, well, great. He's going to split his fee. I'll take that. At least it's a good 
it, you know, at least that's fine. I'll end up getting the money I need. Like the fact that she's using this to give this issue visibility yeah. is really good on her because I think it is a huge problem. Well, and she also has leverage because she just signed a 40 year deal with Disney. Yeah. She's doing their new, uh, these, I can't remember, a dragon film that they're doing. Yeah. There's a film that, yeah. Ryan, yeah. the well, last it's, dragon. It's an, is it an original? I think it's, it's an original. Yeah, I think it's an original. And I think so it's an original she's story she's doing for Disney. And she did say yeah. like Disney would have given her the carve yeah, out. Absolutely. To do this. Cause that's a thing that happens a lot where you're like, if you have some kind of exclusive deal and you really want to do something, like see if the let you out to do it but like yeah yeah i think it's just it's a big issue and i think it's a it's an issue that hollywood is really struggling with in that there is there are those that are really committed to uh in a good way to finding people who have not been given the opportunity to direct not been given the opportunity to write like it's not just in front of the camera behind the camera too and there's people that are really invested in that and then there's those people that want to just like tick the boxes yeah and get someone in for cheap to put them on something to make it look like they're doing it. And I think that the fact that she's calling out it, calling it out is good. Yeah. What do you think, Shannon? Yeah, I mean, it's it's studios always wield a lot of power. But we're getting to a day and age where they have to be mindful of their negotiations because stuff will leak out afterwards. Oh, yeah. And when you look at the difference between, what, 100000 and even, for, say it didn't even go over a million, 100000 to 800000 It's mm-hmm. like, wow, you're... That that's a that's such a small percentage. Like you have to think about this stuff going forward. And and look, and if, and if she wasn't worth it, if they don't think like you know what, she did not right. add enough. Then say she didn't add enough. Right. That's why we're not going to pay her. But now because they went back to her, it's it doesn't look good for them. And look, Sorry, not to not to defend uh, the studio because I'm oh, not going to defend them at all. But Here we go. it well, like no. What I will say is that a business affairs department's job is to try and get everything for as cheaply as they can. Of course. And they will come up with any reason they can to try and make sure your number's down. So when they say to her, you are you only had TV credits before this point, you did like X all the reasons they gave are reasons that they would whip out on anybody. Like True. it's not but at the end of the day, Shannon, you're 100% right. You're like, "You know what? I left and you came back to me." Yeah. And this movie was not just a moderate success. This movie was a monster success. So all of your, well, if we give you this money, we're setting a precedent and we can't set precedents like that. It's all bullshit. It's always yeah. bullshit. Like, so I do think that the business affairs people are doing what they would do in any situation of like, let's just keep the number down. Right. But in this case, it's like, eh, the optics on this are bad. It's worth the money. Yeah. <laughs> and optics are important. I don't care if people push back against it. I think optics are super important. And creatively, it's important. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you have a movie that did that well, unless there's something behind the scenes where we don't know that, yeah. like, everyone's like, oh, she didn't do that much. But I don't, I don't think that's the case if they came back to her. Right, right. Um, yeah. Like, keep the whole cre- – if the creative team worked – right. Keep the creative team. Well, and the thing is, they brought back all the actors. Yeah. I met their quotes. Including Constance Wu. Including Constance Wu. <laughs> you know. You know how little, she is. Little, little radioactive. For yeah, a exactly. <laughs> uh, but I wonder what you... And I, meant this, I mentioned this on Movie Talk today. Uh, what was John... Chu, is that John it, Chu, right? Chu, yeah. yeah. Yeah, John M. Chu. Is a, what, yeah. what was his responsibility here? Did he tell Warner Buzzard... No, I, I don't do, pay her what she's blah, blah, blah. Does he have, and you, Michael, being having worked in the studio system before, does a director have that kind of clout or cachet to force the studio, the business affairs, to pay her the money that he thinks she's worth? Not in every situation. I think in John Chu and Crazy Rich Asian situation, yeah. I would think yes. Right. I think that he 
was such a force behind this movie, mm-hmm. uh, not only in directing a great movie, but in the way he promoted it and the way he spoke about it and the way he was on social mm-hmm. media. Like he was, like he he is he is very tied to this movie, yeah, uh, in a major way. So I would think that he would have at least some level of clout. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm fascinated because people need to understand this too. Part of equality is that there could be issues going on between them as people. You know, just because it's all Asian doesn't mean they're all just getting along, having a good time. It could be that Chu and Adele Lim maybe don't get along with some of the stuff. Maybe she didn't like some of the changes he made or, or whatever. And so maybe he didn't go to bat for as hard as... He could have. It, That's possible. It's got nothing to do with race. It's got everything about personal. It is always true when any of these stories come out yeah. that you never know what the interpersonal issues were exactly. on any of this. Well, and, you, simulta- you, you, and simultaneously, we don't know what he, he – he may have gone to bat for. Right. But he at may the have. end of the day, they are his boss. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah, there's a lot of conjecture that we could have. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the bigger picture of what she is – bringing up like whether or not there's interpersonal issues or somebody went to bat or somebody didn't like somebody yeah. or they feel whatever happened in this specific scenario i still uh i still feel strongly like good on her absolutely for elevating this issue and bringing it out because it is absolutely true that this happens to uh female writers yes. uh, of, of of different ethnicities yep. female writers period uh, male writers of different ethnicities, like it is, it is an issue that uh, that needs to be addressed, and I'm glad that she brought it up and it's being addressed. And this is not like football, right, or in the sports, like where you set a precedent and then an agent goes, "Look, you paid this much." Well, uh, uh, an agent can go, "Well, you paid this much." The studio goes, "So, we'll go find somebody else." The studio does not have to care. There are plenty of desperate, hungry, great writers who are waiting for their opportunity. That is versus players. It's rare to find great players who are just waiting on the sideline to get called in and take another person. That is true to a point, but there are studios never want to set certain precedents. Like, Mm. and again, like I said, this is a unique situation. But uh, you know, having been on the other side of it and been in meetings with business affairs Uh on things where there is there is always a level of like, well, we want to. You know, we want to guarantee in, in the world of TV animation, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. where you do like a 26 episode season and someone comes in and they're like, well, they want to be guaranteed all 26 episodes, which means even if you cancel the show, the yeah, first three episodes paid. in, they're going to get paid for 26 episodes. Yeah. And you, you know, on, I was a creative executive, so I would always be the one to be like, look, we know the show is happening. We really want this person. Why don't we just guarantee them the episodes? You're like, no, because once we guarantee one person 26 episodes, we have to guarantee their agent knows that we did it and they will demand it all. And so, like, there are precedents that you don't want to set, even in the world of uh, entertainment. But you are right. At a certain level with certain people, you're like, yeah, you know what? Fuck you and your precedent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I just feel like, yeah. And another, you know, good for her aspect is. She took a risk yes. by doing this. Yes. Like just because she has that four-year deal at Disney, that doesn't mean that any of those movies are going to go. Right. The right. business changes all the time. So, I mean, she she rolled the dice, and hopefully it will pay off her. Well, uh, certainly uh, the public sentiment seems to be on her side, and this could be her also negotiating through the press, using the press in a yeah. way. And and that's smart as well. It's not, it's not shallow or vapid. It's a smart decision to be like, look, if you're going to play this game, I'm going to play this game. These are the cards I can play uh, uh, here, and possibly they'll come back to her 
and offer her even more, maybe more than Ky- they were going to offer Kyrelli. Won't that be an interesting situation? <laughs> uh, and maybe they'll meet her quote at that point. But it's a smart move overall because I think paying her and getting her back on board is the best thing at this point, optics-wise, um, uh, or coming out with an apology or something like that. But we'll see. We'll see. All right, that's our Geek News Items uh, Roundup of the Week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into our main topic. Hey, everyone, this is John Roca, one-third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. All right, we're back uh, from the. I hope you enjoyed the uh, sponsors there. We know we enjoyed them. Ooh, I hope I did this right, and there's <laughs> and you guys listened to an ad. Uh, we are back uh, on the Geek Buddies here. Thank you so much for staying around, sticking around to listen to our main topic. And it's basically we're going to discuss. We wanted to discuss this last week, but then Michael had to go to Burning Man, so we held off on this discussion and and moved it to this week. We want to talk about the summer movies. What went down? Um, overall, as a summer movie season, what trends happened here? Uh, are there troubling things here? Are there positive things going on here? We just wanted to look at the entire summer movie season and uh, get some analysis of it of our own and also maybe uh, have some predictions and thoughts about uh, what might happen in the future. Uh, who wants to start first? Go for it, Michael. Why don't we go down the list? What is oh, yeah. what, hey, what is the, the uh, what is the summer box office there, Johnny? All right, let's take a look here. Uh, let's take a look for, let's see here. All right, so uh, the top 10 of the year, uh, Avengers Endgame is number one uh, by hook or by crook, whatever your feeling is about that. The Lion King is number two. Well, it was going to be number one either way, with or without. Like, we're not talking about the Avatar piece of it. It was number one regardless. <laughs> uh, you're right. I apologize. <laughs> way to defend the big studio, Mike. Is there an right. asterisk mm-hmm. next to it? <laughs> no, there should be. There. I'm going to put it on my phone in in the Trump Sharpie. I'm gonna... <laughs> here's here's Avengers Endgame's box office. Here's a little Sharpie with the extra money that it made. Someone should do that. My God, those Sharpie memes have been giving me life all day on the internet. All right, <laughs> Avengers. I, wait, can we just say? I, yeah. I know we're not a political podcast. We're not, but. When they asked Trump, when he held up the sign with the Sharpie on it, with, the, with like the little Sharpie circle, and then a reporter in the Oval Office said, well, it looks like there was – it was – it looks like somebody went onto the thing and added a little thing with a Sharpie. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So that I don't know three times, which sounded pretty guilty to me. <laughs> I don't know, Peter. Feels like you denied Christ three times here. <laughs> Uh, all right. Oh anyway, God! So, One sec. Who's Peter? <laughs> <laughs> never, oh, never liked him. Uh, <laughs> Avengers: Endgame's number one. Lion King number two. Toy Story number three. Captain Marvel number four. Obviously not in the summer. Spider-Man: Far From Home. 
number five, Aladdin number six, seven, uh, also not uh, from the summer, uh, was uh, Us. Number eight, John Wick, chapter three. Number nine, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, also not in the summer. Ten, Fast and the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Won't Tyrese be pissed? Uh, and all, and then uh, number 11 here was Secret Life of Pets 2, then Pokemon, then Shazam, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Dumbo, Glass. Dumbo, I'm so surprised, at 15 for the year. Ooh, Dumbo. I, that was not a good movie, so, no. but somehow it has uh, made its way there. I think what, what, what got us on this topic and why we wanted to talk about yeah. it was a few uh, weeks ago when we were discussing it, there were some tweets... I forget who yes. tweeted it, but there was a discussion about the fact that when you look at that, even going into 11, 12, 13, um, us yeah. and um, what was the other original on that? There's two. Oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yes. are the only two things on that list that are an original story. Everything else is either a sequel, yep. uh, part of a major franchise, or a remake of something. Yeah. So – the question is, when you look at the trends of where we're going, uh, and a lot of this is due to uh, due to the big mouse himself. Yes. But uh, you know, are we are we lacking in originality? Are we not lacking in originality? Like when when you look at on the face of it and compare it to say ten years ago, twenty years ago, with what you know, summer movies have always been the big popcorn movies, the big special effects things. But mm-hmm. you had things that were probably a more original, uh, you know, not just a remake and a sequel and a this and a that. So what does that mean? Like where are we heading? Is that good? Is it bad? Uh, yeah, it's a good question to ask. The fans or the movie going public are going to decide this, right? I think it's very clear that we are moving into um, safe IP franchise uh, offerings. This is where studios feel the most comfortable because studios now more than ever, now that the box office chase has started to break the billion dollar mark almost on the regular, mm-hmm. studios are now driven to make this kind of money and find these properties and franchises that can bring them that kind of money. I think that's also the reason why studios are starting to like kind of combine like Voltron themselves and connect like different parts of other studios to them. What CBS Viacom is doing, what you see obviously what Disney did. Mm-hmm. There are other studios doing because they want to chase that big brass ring of the billion dollar, two billion dollar. And so one of the uh, uh, Collider followers that I asked, when are we going to have that $3 billion movie? And I'm like, Jesus Christ. We didn't even conceive of $2 billion just a couple of years ago, three, four years ago. Now people are asking about when's the $3 billion movie coming. I mean, it's going to come. Yeah, it's come it is there, absolutely There coming. was a time that like $100 million over a weekend, that was unheard of. Right. Then it was like, oh, the $100 million day. Now you have movies that if they don't make over $100 million in their first day, they're deemed a failure. Yeah, yeah. Um. I think a couple of things. I mean, we talked about this in different ways, shapes, and forms. We've touched on this all summer long. Yes. I mean, we had the book smart discussion. Uh, you know, there, there's there's this idea that the smaller movies are being just squeezed out because the studio has no interest in spending any money on smaller movies. They're mm-hmm. not delivering in a big way. The only exception in that seems to be in the horror genre. Yes. Um, and everyone, all the studios are like, what are our big money makers? Even our conversation uh, before the break on Harry Potter. Uh, is a Warner Brothers wants to keep that franchise going. So mm-hmm. I think it is true. I think the real question is, I think you're right. I think the the, the audiences are going to decide it. But I think the one place where I get a little irked is the comparison to saying just because something is a sequel or a franchise or mm. a remake, it is somehow lacking in creativity. Right. It is somehow not 
a quality film. This is the narrative that is coming out now that people yeah, are the complaining narrative is, about The this. narrative is yeah. we either have these original movies, original stories by filmmakers, or we have sequels, remakes, and franchises, but uh, and that they are somehow lacking in creativity. And yeah. I think that's true sometimes. I mean, we all know Lion King animated is one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. And I do find the Lion King remake to be lacking in creativity. I think it's just the animated movie less good. And yet this thing is over $1.6 billion, which is yeah. insane. It's, it's part of the Venom Club. Yeah. Movies that I think are bad that made lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put Aquaman in well, there. Was it bad or was it just lacking in creativity? Because a lot of people don't go into movies the way that we go into. Like, some, I think there were, there's a big portion of the audience that all they wanted was a live-action-looking retelling of the animated movie that they grew up watching. Yeah. Fair. I mean, look, I, I, you're right. I think that – I think Dumbo is a bad movie. Yes. And I think Lion King is lacking in any kind of originality or creativity. But to your point, for a lot of the audience, they just wanted to hear those songs and see those characters do what they were going to do. So, yeah. um, And I do think that that is, as we're discussing what's creative, what's not creative, I think that what Lion King to me represents is the thing that the people that say this are afraid of. That we're going to have these giant studios just churning things out and churning things out with no spin on it with no attempt to tell anything new or do anything different and the audiences will come because they know those characters they know those stories they know those songs and so lion king to me does represent that Mm -hmm. whereas uh say avengers endgame i don't think anybody could say that movie is lacking in creativity yeah yeah and that's the thing and i think that's a great point you make mike because I have been guilty of just being like, okay, there's two camps, right? This idea of originality and not originality if you do a sequel or a remake or a reboot. But there is an opportunity to have creative remakes, creative reboots, creative sequels, creative ins- installments in a, in a franchise, certainly. And with Avengers Endgame, you can't argue. I watched it twice on this trip to Australia. I watched it to Australia, and I watched it on the way back from Australia. And it's long enough that it was the entire trip. It really was. It, well, I could, yeah, I could have watched it five times uh, on one trip. <laughs> that's no lie. Um, but, and, and I was like, and I wasn't bored either time, even though I'd seen it already, because of the creativity of yep. the film and the humanity of the film, which is what a lot of these supposedly independent films uh, argue is their um, their advantage is that they tell human stories about human emotions and human things that people have to overcome. There is PTSD, there is depression, yeah. there is suicidal stuff. All of that is in Avengers Endgame. Yeah, and so and you know, I would say comic book the comic book genre in general gets sort of unfairly demonized mm-hmm. for this because you can't hold up the boys. To something like Thor. I mean, these are so vastly different. But even, I'll take it a step further, which is, I think a lot of these people that are like, oh, all of these franchises that are so, you know what? If you were going to say, we're going to take the entire work, uh, works of Shakespeare and make all of them into movies, Mm -hmm. people wouldn't be like, oh, it's such a crappy franchise. But because it's a comic book... But, like, these are part of our modern mythology. But if yeah. you created a Shakespeare verse, then you'd have some trouble. Oh, a Shakespeare interconnected universe? <sighs> now you're talking. <laughs> Hamlet and Harry, Henry V, like, solving some shit, going down, and, like, you know, it'd be perfect. If you had an Avengers of Shakespeare, that'd be kind of badass. Hath, hath I told you about... <laughs> 
half I told you about the Quill Initiative. <laughs> that works on two levels. Yeah. <laughs> Hamlet. Puck. <laughs> Inevitable am I. <laughs> oh, oh, God. It would totally work. Uh, but no, but, but, but yeah. my point is that, like, you know, like, take Todd Phillips' Joker. Yeah. Which we have a, we're going to have a lot of talks about that. We are. But clearly, even though this movie is already divisive and people are writing think pieces on it who haven't even seen the movie yet. I find um, it fascinating. Which is why I was, like, I was like, should we talk about it? But, like, let's wait. Yeah. But. Uh, let's wait to see it. Based, yeah. but based <laughs> what a on, novel idea. But again, based on what everyone's saying, whether we like it or don't like it or whatever, this is clearly taking a comic book character and doing something yeah. that is cinematically, whether we like it or don't like it or whatever, some, it is a cinematic statement. You can argue. It's not, you, you can't say it's not creative. Right. And you can argue that it's an independent film. Yeah. You can argue that it's only, what, 50 million or less? And it's being done, and it's the look of it is very much like an inner city seventies type film. Um, I mean, I do worry about what's going to happen to smaller films, but I also think that uh, you know, and we've again we've said this several times as well. But like, if all the people who are going to make these smaller films, let's just say the big studios just abandon small films altogether, I, I would I would be sad if that happened. But let's just say that happened, and all those people went and started making shit on. Amazon Prime and Netflix mm-hmm. and Hulu and Disney Plus and HBO Max. Like, we are living in an era of some of the best television. I just finished binging 10 hours of fucking Game of Thrones with puppets on Netflix. Oh, yeah. And it was the greatest thing I've ever. Like, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Mm. You've got the flea bags. You've got, you know, all these things coming out. And you're just like, look, we live in an amazing time for yeah. creative storytelling. We are telling more stories, different stories from different perspectives than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. And so are we are are we missing out on the, you know, the glut of 20 million rom-coms, you know, you know, 20 million or 20 to 30 million rom-coms that came out a few years ago every five seconds? Yeah, sure. We don't have those anymore. Do we really miss them? Yeah. Do we really need them? That's the thing. That's why Crazy Rich Asians is an anomaly and should be. There should only be a certain rom. You know why? Because people started to realize that those rom coms were absolute bullshit, and people were starting to feel like that's not how love is. That's not what. Like. So people wanted Except more. For my best friend's wedding. Don't Oof. speak ill. I can't because that is a bit of a darker rom com because she's legitimately trying to, to destroy a marriage. <laughs> she is a horrible, horrible person. I mean, movie. I'm single right now, so that's my favorite kind of rom com. <laughs> I prefer if you went to Leap Year. That seems more pet. Leap Year. That's a get out of here. You can meet a nice Irish guy. Yeah, but go. you know some. You know some of those smaller Miss movies. Congeniality. That's a great. That's one. a great one. I don't deny that. Do you guys like Serendipity? I no, like Serendipity. I no, what? I don't like Serendipity. Must love dogs. I don't like. No, but Serendipity. I like. You know, I like Notting Hill. Notting Hill's great. I don't, like Notting don't Hill. Don't get me started. <laughs> you know, I love that movie. You know, the smaller movies, not all of them, but a lot of the smaller movies do find a way to kind of work their way into the public eye. Like, Mm -hmm. I think The Farewell is a great, great movie. Peanut Butter Falcon has wedged its way in. I didn't like it like you did, but I was like, like, this this is okay. And I'm like, I'm glad that this is being shown. Uh, to a larger audience, it mm-hmm. deserves to be sh- to be seen by a larger audience. Even little movies like Ready or Not, that yeah. movie is a effing blast. Ready or Not is fantastic. So much I mean, you fun. Want, yeah, you're trying to drag me to go see it with you. I know. I you I, should. It's so much. No, fun. I do want to see it. Yeah. They, they should have saved. A little it busy for, guys. I just got back from the desert. Oh, okay. They should have saved it for October. 
in my opinion. It's not a bad idea. True, true, true. They should have saved that movie for October because I do think this is the type of movie... It, I don't think it's going to turn into like the next clue, but right, right. it could have that sort of cult following where you start to see midnight screenings of it. Like yeah. I do think that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, hopefully they don't abandon those smaller movies because all big franchises started off as an original idea at one point. Right. Yeah, even Star Wars, you could argue, is an independent film when it first started. The first Star one. Wars, Terminator, yeah, all that Alien, stuff. Alien. Avatar, Certainly. even though they basically just ripped off <laughs> Fern Gully and Dances with Wolves. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was an original idea. Yeah, we'll see how those sequels turn out. Because um, you wanted four more of those. Right? I didn't. <laughs> James I, did. Look, look don't, don't, don't you discount James Cameron. No, I, you're right. You're you right. Were, you were absolutely that man, right. That man works some magic. He's got a tra- great track record. But I think that's why the streaming services thrive, because there is an interest in the public for smaller independent films. Go to Netflix right now. There's like 500 films that you have never seen that are on there that they put on there from multiple countries well, that you can go and enjoy that they buy. And even like, uh, you know, with Disney Plus, like one of the things they're leading with is that uh, Noel movie, that Christmas movie where Anna Kendrick plays uh, Santa's daughter. I texted you about that. You did. I know. I thought I wasn't allowed to say that. Yeah, never mind. All right. I literally, now I'm telling everybody. I literally, like, Disney Plus gets announced and everyone's like, oh, Mandalorian, oh, all these Marvel shows. I get a text from Johnny that goes, you and I are going to watch Noel and don't you tell anybody I ever said this. But we're watching this movie. It's, I'm a terrible Christmas freak and I, and I think it, I, I, I love that trailer. I was like, I'm totally seeing this. But you know what I mean? Like, so if the Disney Pluses and the HBO Maxes and all this world are going to spend smaller budget movie money to make movies for their streaming service and that becomes the future of all of these movies that we're missing out on in theaters and theaters and you've said this Johnny you said this for a long time that you think the theaters are going to become where we just go see these giant marquee movies that's not what we grew up with that doesn't necessarily mean Hollywood's ruined also it will all collapse at some like all things like like just like yeah. Pixar was eventually going to make a shitty movie just like everything changes at some point and even though it seems like we will be making superhero movies and franchises and Star Wars movies forever uh, and for a lot of us we'd be super happy if that was the case <laughs> that is not the case right. like superhero movies will go the way of the western one day and we you know like it, it will happen and then we'll get the rise of indie movies or something again like our children are going to be like we can't believe all you did was watch movies about yeah. jedis and superheroes we we want our weird indie whatever you know so yeah. it'll it'll happen but i think for now i'm just i'm just enjoying riding the wave yeah yeah and you know there's but but also because i think this this isn't repeating itself like the they're they're trying to find new and interesting ways and this is where the creative aspect comes that you mentioned mike there are some incredibly intelligent accomplished creative imaginative people in working within the superhero genre and creating new ways to uh tell their stories through the superhero genre uh, i mean you mentioned boys that's incredible logan uh, uh, Ragnarok, all these have, Endgame, they all have different ways to tell their story. Even the Joker movie. They're and a totally different way. Bring up a good point. And some of these directors that get to a certain level because of their superhero movies. Right. I don't know that Taika Waititi gets to make Jojo Rabbit if he wasn't the Thor Ragnarok guy. Certainly. Uh, and Jojo Rabbit definitely falls under the weird smaller budget <laughs> yeah. creative movie division. A Fox movie that we'll see how Disney markets that thing. I mean, they're marketing it. The trailers are out. Yeah, the trailers are out. 
Um, maybe huh. Scarlet Scarlet shouldn't be shouldn't be interviewed so much. Oh, maybe. Man. <laughs> somebody, did you read that? Somebody, <laughs> somebody tweeted. Somebody tweeted yesterday. They're like, the year is 2053. <laughs> I open Twitter. Kevin Hart and Scarlett Johansson are trending. Like they're just <laughs> never gonna not be trending. So, what is uh, the Scar- I sent you guys the Scarlett Johansson, the other, the one, the tweet that had me on the ground where she was like auditioning for the role of Sun Yi. That one, I just couldn't. I was like, I was like, good God Almighty! Um, but uh, someone else put, <laughs> someone else put, reporter. What did you think about <laughs> Scarlett Johansson? Interrupts. You know, the slaves didn't have it so bad. Jesus. <laughs> Oh God! They are just so, and these are these are verified accounts that are making fun of Scarlet. So someone said you you can't. What is it? You can't do films where where you're a white person playing another race and date Colin Colin Jost and then. Uh, uh, defend Woody Allen. You, you got to pick a lane. You, can't. <laughs> you gotta pick a lane. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's great! That's genius!" Oh god, yeah, that poor girl. <laughs> um, where were we? <laughs> Something about Black Widow could be affected by this, maybe. Uh, but anyway, yeah. But like, even the Black, uh, even the Black Widow movie. That's an interesting uh, spy aspect to a superhero movie that we kind of had a taste of in Winter Soldier. What version are we getting a James Bond esque type Black Widow movie? That's possible. Well, and I think, you know, for my money, the thing that's happening in this era of cinema that people, that the people who are criti- cr- critical of the big uh, franchise tentpole movies yeah. are discounting is that the most interesting thing that's happening right now, um, and Marvel obviously leads it, and DC tries, and Star Wars is doing its thing, is yeah. we've never lived in a war- era where cinema and television in some cases is telling one giant continuous story right in the in the in the history of all of entertainment uh a franchise was uh you know it was the jaws movies yeah. it was the nightmare on elm street movies it was the bond movies but it was always new directors coming in let's reboot let's recast let's do a thing even if you were like an indiana jones or something like it was sort of like you know, you had like a Star Wars here or there, like we're going to tell mm-hmm. a story in a run, but with different directors sometimes, and it went in different directions, and that was okay. And this idea that you're telling 10, 20 movies, 30 movies, oh, here's some TV shows that also fit in. Here's this thing that falls in between this movie and this movie because this takes place here. Like, that's never happened before. Right. So to discount the level of creativity and the, um, the skill that that takes – not just in storytelling, but just to wrangle so many storytellers and make sure yeah. that things make sense. Like that's something that's never happened before. And I think that we some people get so caught up in, oh, well, it's just based on a comic book or it's mm-hmm. just a big company trying to make money on stuff. And it's like, yeah, like those things aren't true. Are those things are true, but that doesn't negate the fact that what's happening now has never happened in cinema before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember watching you know the old Batman movies, the mm-hmm. Tim Burton and the first Schumacher, and thinking because what we would have been what seniors going in or going into senior year watching Batman Forever. Well, you and me were. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's why I was looking at you. Uh, sorry. Okay. sorry to the listeners. <laughs> I I deliberately avoided John's ancient gaze. I mean, he's glad without his glasses, you wouldn't be able to see where you're looking anyway. <laughs> I just remember by the time we got to Batman Forever, looking at Gotham City and being like. What the hell happened yeah. to the first Batman movie? Yeah. And we just don't have that now. Like, like the we do have a continuity of not just storytelling, but of production design, yeah. of actors, of every level of production. There is a care given to creating these worlds and making them real for us. Yeah. Uh, 
to the point where you can watch the trailer for The Mandalorian and you go, yeah, that feels like Star Wars. Right. And like I think you said – one of you guys said this last week with Kalinowski that you're like, well, if this is – Kalinowski said it. If like with the Marvel shows, if this is the level of production quality that we're going to get, they fit right in with the movies. Yeah. You know, and like that, again, that is something we've never had before. So I do think that – you know, I worry what happens for the smaller budget movies. I think a lot of them are going to move to streaming, but I don't think that you can say just because this the top <clears throat> the top ten movies of the years are all sequels and franchises and mm. whatnot that that's somehow lacking in creativity. Right, I agree thoroughly, and uh, we'll see what happens because certainly the game plan for Star Wars and Marvel is the same going forward now, and that is these TV shows will bleed into the films, will add canon stuff to the films, so it's all together now, and this isn't, like you said, Michael, this is something that they've never done as as students, so there's, it's certainly a massive undertaking yeah. that they're doing. Marvel, I'm not worried about. Star Wars, I'm a little worried about. Yeah. I'm worried to see if Star Wars can keep that storytelling straight. Yeah. Because even though I like Last Jedi more than both of you do, I agree that Nobody was steering that ship. Like those Force Awakens went this way, and we went zigged, we zagged, yeah. and then we're gonna zooch. I don't know what's gonna happen. Like, <laughs> bounty hunting is a tough business. Uh, and anyway. movie making is a tough business. <laughs> business. Eh? All right. Well, that's this episode uh, of the Geek Buddies. Want to thank you all so much for listening to us and for allowing us to entertain you. Uh, what, no matter what you're doing, maybe driving home, maybe working around the house, maybe you're working out. Some of you have listened. To, uh, some of you have listened to the top ten. I know in while you're taking a bath. So maybe you're listening to us now while you're taking a bath. Who knows? We appreciate it either way. Uh, Mike, what do you want to tell them? You know what I want to do. I, I want to know the people that are like. You know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine. I'm going to make a hot bath, and I'm going to spend it with Michael, Shannon, and John Rook. <laughs> yeah, I think that's possible. And in fact, if you're doing that, send us pictures. Whoa. whoa, that, whoa. I'm down from, with from, that. From the shoulders up. From the shoulders from up. From the shoulders up. <laughs> of course, Keep it clean, guys. Keep it clean. Keep like it clean. That, like that guy in Truman Show. You just have it set up there with, uh, in your back. Um, what do I want to say? What do I, I want to say that... Uh, I want to say, oh, Shannon's taking a picture. I'm waving. Oh, hey, everybody. Get in, John. Get in here, John. It's for the Instagram. Let me get my old it's ass. For the in gram. Here. Do it for the gram. Woo! Uh, and click. It's very <laughs> exciting for everybody. Love it. Uh, what I want to say is a big part of Burning Man is gifting. And, uh, <laughs> and, and if you guys want to give us a gift, hey, oh, you can go and leave a comment. You can give us some stars. You can tell people what you think. Even if it's not a good comment, leave us a bad comment. Yeah. Like, let's get a little variety in there. Let's get a little crazy. But sure. uh, the more comments we get, the more stars we get, the more ratings we get, the higher up we go, the more people find us, the more people join in on the fun. Um, and so you'd be doing us a gift. You'd be doing us a kindness. Yeah. And uh, and a, who doesn't want to be kind? A mitzvah. A mitzvah. There we go. For, <laughs> from, from, from our Jewish homies out there. Oh. Shalom. Yeah, comment. Also, a, a retweet. Retweets were always nice. Yes. Uh, uh, what was it? While you were gone, my buddy, my buddy Eddie Liu, who I was I, saw. In, I was in uh, Silicon Valley with. We worked together for a few weeks a few years ago. He he re, he uh, tweeted and then retweeted uh, our yes he did our post. So I was like, oh thanks, Eddie. Yeah, That's all you guys nice. and yeah, not not all the, thank you, Eddie, but to all you guys out there who uh, and girls who uh, I, you know we see the tweets, we see you guys saying how much you enjoy listening to us, yeah. how what a fun podcast it is. Uh, telling people that if they like geeky podcasts to check us out, we really appreciate it. It makes us happy. Yeah. Uh, we like the tweets. We love what you're saying. So definitely uh, spread the geek love. Spread the geek gospel. 
Yeah, and if you would like to follow us on the social medias, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. There you go. And you can follow Mike at... MK Tune. Uh, you can follow me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. I, I echo everything the gentlemen have said uh, ahead of me here too. Um, and uh, is it is Sam Lou, Eddie Lou? Was it Eddie Lou? Eddie, who's uh, Sam? Well, I don't know. Uh, Eddie, um, if you enjoyed Silicon Valley, you can listen to my episode of the Deep Cut with Amanda Crew that is out now on the Collider Conversations feed. Amanda was fantastic on the show. If you want to listen to that, so there you go. All right. Is that everything? That's everything. I mean, We're good. I, I got nothing else. All right. We got to roll on with our weekends. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.